Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Saturday? Little Rippy Writes Podcast Weekend Edition. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. We've got Old pal Warren Rodenberg, Rippy Writes football correspondent, on to recap SEC Media Days. We talked about Lane Kiffin's big picture thoughts on college football, dumb media questions from the week, the event that is SEC Media Days, and a whole lot more. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. The podcast is now brought to you by Seaspire, a new partnership with the Rippy Rights Podcast. Thrilled to bring Seaspire on board. The way businesses collaborate is changing. Seaspire Voice with WebEx gives your organization the tools to stay ahead. Call, meet, and message on any device, anywhere from one secure cloud-based platform. The last few years have shown just how vital remote is remote work is for businesses of all sizes. But you also want to protect your organization from cyber threats. That's why Seaspire Voice with WebEx has enterprise-grade security built from the ground up. So you can enhance how your teams work together in and out of the office, all with the reliability and scalability that traditional business phone systems just can't offer. Learn more at C- about what Seaspire Voice with WebEx can do for your organization at cspire.com slash businesses. Seaspire, customer inspired. Also, check out their home internet. I have their home fiber internet. It's 2023. You can't be going with bad internet. I do the podcast with Seaspire internet. If it went in and out all the time and was not reliable, this wouldn't be a very good podcast. But thanks to Seaspire, I never have that problem. It is the most reliable internet on the market. Should there an issue arise, they'll have a technician come out to your home within 24 hours. But it is the most reliable and stable internet on the market. Check them out. Seaspire customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. That's right. Rent the Sip Oxford. Good friend of the podcast, Bracken Ray. His Turnberry unit located less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus can be your place to stay, whether you're passing through Oxford, whether it's a big game weekend, whether you're there for move-in, orientation, rush. It can be tough to find a place to stay in Oxford, particularly on bigger weekends. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit has you covered, though. It will Sleep 8 comfortably. It's got amenities such as a pool, sauna, and tennis courts. It's gated. It's great for games, orientation, rush, parents weekend. Still availability for the Mercer, ULM, Vanderbilt football weekend. Still available for orientation. Still available during throughout rush week and still available for moving week. And hey, maybe you just don't want to deal with the hotel and you're passing through Oxford for a night or two randomly. You need to check it out at rentthesipoxford.com. You can go online, check availability. If you listen to this podcast, you can get the Rippy Rights discount. That's 100 bucks off any two-night stay minimum. So go online, book your stay, type in Rippy Rights, and you'll get 100 bucks off a two-night minimum stay. It's a great place to stay, less than a mile from campus, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught-Hemingway, and, of course, walkable from the Grove as well. Need to check them out just there off Taylor Road, rentthesipoxford.com. If you have any questions, feel free to email Bracken, B-R-A, a-C-K-E-N at rentthesipoxford.com. Book your stay before they fill up because football season's coming up and they will be filling up fast. So that is once again, rentthesipoxford.com. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg on the week that was at SEC Media Days. All right, we now welcome on MPW's NBA correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. I hate to do this on the podcast, but when you signed this long-term contract with the Rippy Wright Show, I believe you had a strict... um non-compete 
particularly with those degenerates on the Oxford Exxon, Pete, I, I, I might have to fire you. We're going to get the lawyers to look through it. I don't know how big of a legal battle it will be, but uh, just is what it is, man. It's been tough. Yeah, my payment didn't really change, so I don't think we really need to get lawyers involved yet. Uh, I'm still working on my new deal. Uh, as Lane Kiffin said, you can just opt out whenever you want these days. So I'll work on that, and then we'll get back to you. <laughs> Running backs and podcast guests, just tough contract negotiations these days. But no, I saw, you told me. So we actually saw each other over the weekend. I was wedding. It was good to see you. It had been a minute. Um, and you mentioned you went on a NBA show with Neil, and I was like, shit, I wish I'd have known this on the drive down. I did a couple podcasts to kill the few-hour drive down to New Orleans to our buddy's wedding. But, dude, it was good to see you. We, uh, of course, just went into great detail about our strategy for the uh, upcoming football season, but uh, glad we all made it back in one piece. And it is now – I hate to call it silly season because that's already been dubbed the coaching silly season – Maybe we can call this dumb headline season. I thought this might be a boring pod, but I texted you about 15 minutes before. I was like, I'm fired up. Let's make fun of some shit. I'm actually looking forward to the SEC Media Day reaction. Yeah, I, I mean, they've done an incredible job of making it like a real event. And in doing so, I think people have taken it more seriously moving into Nashville this year. And in doing so has created just a boatload of bullshit to talk about. I mean, yes. I, I think I watched more SEC media days than I care to admit. Uh, I really actually enjoy it. I enjoy listening, you know, to other teams beats talk about Ole Miss and vice versa, because, you know, I listen to a lot of the ESPN radio guys in Baton Rouge. I listen to the, the next round guys as they've been like kind of a part of this deal now and that they do a great job. And it's just, it's interesting to see everybody interview everybody and talk about it. Um, and then you get all the coaches. I mean, man, you learn. I feel like you learn so much by strictly just the demeanor of these guys. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I watch a ton of golf. And obviously, I know you you do, too. I don't know why I said I don't know about you. I know you watch plenty of golf. And I gamble in golf all the time. It's my, maybe my favorite thing to bet on. And before – uh, all the majors, you know, like Monday and Tuesday, they all have press conferences with all the yeah. players. And then, you know, they talk about random stuff and how they've been playing the practice rounds. You know, what do you feel like going into the course? And, you know, in gambling, I always like, you could just tell from the demeanor of the golfers how they feel like their game is and how confident they are, unconfident they are going into the, the upcoming tournament. And I feel like you can really get a good sense of how these coaches feel about their teams from how they talk in media days. And I know we'll get into it, but I, this year, more than most, I feel like a lot of coaches tip their hands uh, on how they feel about this, along with talking about, you know, NIL and Portal, which is just lame and boring and who cares. That's really well said because, you know, the whole like zag, I would say from the time like 2013 on, you know, the inst the uh you know, establishment of the SEC network, the kind of like crusty sports writer angle was like, this is just a made for TV event. We don't actually get any information kind of complain about that. And that was true for a while, but like, are we coming full circle here? Cause I watched a lot of SEC media days too. And I enjoyed it as well. Like I was like going into it thinking like, I'm just going to make fun of how dumb this is and we don't learn anything, but you're exactly right. Like we kind of do learn stuff. Maybe some of that is just kind of the, you know, the, plate tectonics of this whole ecosystem moving around. I don't really know what it is, but like, it almost feels like it's come full circle where it's like, I actually kind of like SEC media is out. This is fun to watch. It's almost like watching reality TV. It's like, you're not actually learning anything super substantive, but it's fun to watch. And then 
you're right. They've made it into a TV. Like they made it into a bigger event. I had Michael Borky on, on Monday, he and sports talk Mississippi are live there. And he's like, dude, there's a concert down the street tonight. Like, yeah, they, they've done it the right way. It was trending that way. And they finally pulled the trigger on moving it around to bigger venues R.I.P. Hoover, whatever that six inside bars name is, but moving it around to a bigger place is bigger markets, I think is a good thing. And I don't even know if that has anything to do with it, but in a weird way, I feel more interested in it than I have in about five years. Yeah. And it's like, you know, no offense to Neil, who I know is there, but like, we don't travel there. So I don't really care if they move it all around, you know, exactly. I'll, I'll still watch the coaches and some of the interviews and I'll listen to all the content and podcasts, YouTube, whatever, like to kind of fill my day. Uh, and my drives back and forth from from work. Um, you know, is it really the correct thing to do to make this thing a huge event? I mean, if you listen to a lot of the media guys who are just lame and hate the sport they cover, they would say no. I don't really give a shit. So I enjoy uh, finally seeing the coaches actually talking some football, talking about the big picture stuff. Um, I don't know if you've listened to like Sankey a lot, not just his like State of the Union, which was, you know, it was fine. It was kind of interesting, but He's an incredible interview on other sites. I listen to him on the Scona, I listen to him on Next Round. Like he's a he's actually a really funny guy who has a lot to say and is like more than willing to like actually say something instead of giving you like commissioner speak as opposed to, you know, coach speak with some of these guys. So if you kind of look around and find, you know, nuggets of information from different people, you actually kind of get a decent amount out of this. Um, so I enjoy it. I, I always get excited for it. I always feel like sometimes I've been like let down and I'll like just stop the coaches at the podium halfway through be like, I don't care about this guy. But for whatever reason this year, I felt, uh, people had a lot of different things to say about it. I agree on the Sankey piece of it. I mean, if you talk about jobs with like a target on your back where you're just like going to get dumped on on the internet, it's probably commissioner, you know, pro sports mostly, college sports a little bit different, but they still make fun of them. But Sankey's just a good leader. Um, You know, he's not perfect. I get people have gripes with them, you know, the punishment thing. Yeah, he, he. I'm not one of the guys who feels like he is like this god of college football who can do no wrong, but I do think he's a very interesting personality and has definitely done a good job. He's the best Power 5 commissioner. Like, if, if like, who would you trade the other four conferences for? Would you trade anyone, if you're a fan of the SEC, would you trade anyone for Greg Sankey? No. Well, they've all, I mean, he said earlier today, like, he's the, the longest tenured of all the Power Five. And, like, they've literally had a new one, I think, in every single conference over the last two years. So, hell no, I'm not trading him for anybody. And you're right. He is a little more candid than your typical kind of politician um commissioner is and i listened to a state of the union and i guess we'll start with the old miss piece of it old miss as we recorded this on a thursday evening lane kiffin's day at sec media days was today old miss's day i listened to all of kiffin's press conference and all of judkins um i'll admit i got tied up at work i didn't listen to cedric johnson and whoever else they brought i can't even remember i don't feel yeah. like i missed a ton from that what was interesting to me as and we'll dive off into plenty of other topics from the old miss standpoint all of these coaches' time on the main room, so the main room where everybody's in there, it's on TV, the one that gets you know put on the SEC YouTube channel, they're all about 25 to 30 minutes. Pretty standard. Um, and Kiffin's was about that same length. And I got to say, like, did he get asked three questions about Ole Miss? Because if it was three, it wasn't five. Like, it wasn't much more than that. He got peppered with questions like he was the commissioner of college football or like the czar of college football, which I figured would be the case. It wasn't shocking to me. But actually watching it and then getting done with the 29-minute interview, I was like, he got asked almost nothing about Ole Miss was just fascinating to me. It's 
the media learning that he really like is not going to give you an interesting answer if you ask about his football team. Um, now, what does that say about Lane? I have no idea, but it's just a fact. I mean, it's just true. If you've seen his, you know, his resume as he's been at Ole Miss and like when you ask him minutia questions about, you know, how the defense look and, you know, your backup offensive lineman, he's going to give you like almost a more boring answer than most coaches would. But if you get him going on, you know, bigger, you know, bigger topics and kind of wide ranges of things. It doesn't even have to be about football or NIL or portal. You're just going to get something more interesting. And I think a lot of those guys down there that are asking these questions, like by the time you get to, especially Thursday, you're kind of looking for something different. Um, and I think he gives, you know, he definitely gives that. Um, did I love all the things he had to say today? No, not really, but he's definitely is different. And I think that brings out a lot more of the media guys trying to get something out of him. And Neil's been on this for a while. It's probably why Neil's pretty good at his job. He realized pretty early. It's like, Hey man, if you ask him like, you know, how did the right tackle do in practice today? You're going to get absolutely nothing. And honestly, in the local media settings, he gets annoyed and that almost makes it want to seem like he's like, can we cut this as short as possible? But if you feed him something about a larger thought about his football program and the sec as a whole, and something that really just kind of stimulates him and makes him think a little bit, he's going to give you a pretty good answer. And we saw a whole heaping of that today. And I guess we'll start with this piece of it. I don't know. I, I, I should have sent you this before, but did you catch the Feinbaum deal earlier today where Feinbaum called Lane a hypocrite because he left? Because uh, he was talking about like the disaster state of college football. And Feinbaum basically was like, what a hypocrite. Lane left for Tennessee and all this other crap. Can we talk about bad arguments for a second? I used to subscribe to this theory to some degree when the transfer portal was new, but that's such a dumb argument of the players should do whatever they want at any time they want because coaches can. And it's a dumb argument for many reasons. But the first one is that one coaches are contracted employees. Yes, they can leave, but contrary to popular belief, buyouts are paid. It's not paid by the coach, usually by the school. There's a consequence for it. But they're contracted full-time employees. And in this current state of college football, the players aren't. But that's not Kiffin. What not saw what Kiffin is saying. He's not saying you like, I don't want these kids to transfer, or these kids shouldn't be able to allow to move around and make money and do all these other things. He's just saying this current system without any sort of regulations is bad for the sport. And then I saw another one on ESPN today where it was like, he's his roster's full of transfers. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. He's making the most. And taking advantage of the ecosystem and the, you know, market that he resides in, that doesn't make him a hypocrite. It just blows my mind that national people, national media people cannot think critically enough to decipher between the two. That blows my mind. Yeah. So I'll take this in segments because I, I had the same thought as you did. It's, it, they're totally different. We give so much power to the players without any sort of like thoughts and, you know, just nothing. Like they get everything these days. And for some people, that makes a ton of sense. And for some people that kind of think log logically, it's like they have no leverage. They either play or they don't play. You know, th right. there's nothing they can do about it. Um, in terms of Feinbaum, I think it's kind of a silly argument. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's 100% wrong. Because part of his statement was like, you know, he's worried about people leaving and, and you know, distractions and IL and portal while his team faltered down the stretch because he was negotiating with Auburn. You know, so I, there is a little bit of truth to it. Yes, but there it's absolutely also, is. Yeah, but that's also fine bomb, like kind of taking the low hanging fruit on the entire discussion. Um, you know, Lane is talked about as someone who like jumps around all the time. 
And he sure as hell is interested all the time, but he's actually only jumped a job once. And that was from Tennessee to USC. And, you know, boy, was it kind of a disaster all the way around. It is remembered very uh, unfondly by many. But, you know, it's not actually the truth uh, when it comes to Kiffin. Um, And honestly, when the second part of your thoughts, when you talk about the portal and everything, today was the first time that Kiffin had ever finally said while he was complaining and bitching about the state of college football that, hey, I do use this, though. Because I would be silly and stupid and, you know, it would be, you know, literally against, you know, my contract (laughs) and blasphemous to not use it. That doesn't mean that this is all good and fine and dandy. You know, we're okay with the players getting paid and I'm fully supportive, you know, speaking in first person for Kiffin. But that doesn't mean that we're doing it the right way. And I've, I've always been really annoyed with the way Kiffin goes about talking about the NIL and portal because it was always like wildly hypocritical. And finally, during the, his little state of the union, he kind of like explained, yes, I can't stand all this stuff. And I think it's a problem. I'm going to tell you why it's a problem. But I'll also explain that, yeah, that doesn't mean we're not going to use it. And that doesn't mean that I'm against paying players. Uh, so that was fine. It was a really nice to see him finally say that he still complained about it too much and still kind of like almost throws his own university uh, kind of under the bus with the way he talks about how they can't compete because of how big the other boosters are. But I think he was more level-headed and actually clearer in his thoughts than he's ever been about it. And I thought the way he did it was pretty tactful too. When he said, I mean, I think he mentioned at least more than once where he said, I tell my guys all the time, it's a great time to be a college football player. Like he fully understands it's a great time to be them. It doesn't mean he has to like it. And I guess I always assumed that's the way he thought. But to your point, saying it out loud, like at least that gives clarity on that's kind of actually where he stands and what he believes as much as he may not like it. And then the fine bomb piece of it, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't address that piece of it. Didn't you feel like that's the first take coming out in fine bomb? It felt a little manufactured. He and Kevin have patched up their relationship. That felt like Feinbaum being like, you know, that made a headline this week. Let's playfully go after Lane Kiffin so we get a bunch of clickbait articles from most notably what I read. I didn't actually watch the Feinbaum segment. I read it from AI. Well, it was on ESPN, actually. So it was oh, a bigger really? audience. So you knew that he had to come out with something uh, being on that channel. That was not actually on his regular show. The clip I saw that I think I actually texted to you was him talking to uh, one of the ESPN reporters on College Football Live about it because it kind of made the rounds when Kiffin said it was NIL and the portal was a disaster. So that quite literally was the ESPN and first take coming out in five. Literally, yes, so that, which is why I think he did it. Oh, 100%. I th- definitely think that's why he did it. But then like to see, like uh, I forget who it was, maybe it was Ryan Clark or someone else go on there and be like, his roster is full of transfers. It's like, get yeah, no, no shit, dude. Like he has to compete. He has to like, you know, do the best he can with the tools afforded to him. It doesn't mean he has to like it. One of the wild things about this whole storyline too, is right before we started recording, uh, one of the more insightful, but also colorful and explicit language version of a salient point that I didn't think would come from the person was uh, the last chance you coach Jason Brown Clip the other ESPN clip I'm talking about from the other like analyst or whatever it was. So I can't remember the guy's name. And he like does the same thing where he's clearly sitting on his couch. He's probably had a couple of scotches by four o'clock in the afternoon and smoked a cigar. And like he plays the clip and then he pauses it and was like, "What you dumb efforts don't understand is Kiffin saying he's doesn't like it doesn't mean he's not going to use it." And I was like, "I didn't expect this level take to come from 
a borderline <laughs> degenerate from the last chance you show, but he's kind of right. And that just is kind of what's silly about the whole thing. But like, again, I just, the inability again, fine bomb. I thought it was staged, but you see it elsewhere too. Just the inability to think critically. It's not Kiffin saying we need to stop the transfer thing. I just think he's saying we need guardrails. And I think he's combining the two transfer portal and NIL. Cause the way he described it was imagine if, Lionel Messi, or I think he used an NBA example too. They could just he used a very in- bizarre group of people in that example that he clearly had written down, also including Asia, uh, like the really good WNBA basketball. Yeah, Asia player. Wilson. I heard Asia Wilson. I like kind of like did like a head nod. I was like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, so somebody gave him that talking point clearly, which I thought was funny. I was just sitting there thinking, I wish I had written down the athletes that he said because it was a very bizarre collection. But it was a pretty good point where he's like, what if they could opt for free agency three times every single year, you know, before the season, right after the season and then after spring and just see what's out there and available. And so that to me, like if you if you either didn't listen to that part or you listened to it and just chose to ignore it, I don't understand how you can have the hypocritical take because all he's saying is, is. This system makes no sense. You don't have this in pro sports. Alvin Kamara cannot get three weeks into training camp. Like, well, actually, I want to see what other offers from the Oakland Raiders or whomever else is out there. And then, you know, after the season, right after this, back, I might go. And then maybe after they do OTAs, back, I might go. But they're also contracted employees. And that's all Kiffin is saying is like, this makes no sense. In no other level of sports do you have this kind of lawless bouncing around no contracts they're not professional athletes but they kind of are that's really all he's saying and that's really all I took from what he said on that piece of it today well the also the most important part is like some people come back and be like oh well like there's a player empowerment movement across you know professional sports guys ask to leave during their contracts all the time and yeah you're a hundred percent correct but they get compensation back exactly you don't there's a consequence for doing it even if it doesn't affect the player Right. You can say James Harden has screwed four franchises in a row, which is true because he's asked to leave and like just won't play or whatever because he just doesn't like the fit or just wants to leave because he doesn't think they can win. That's great. But you still have to trade him from Houston to the Nets and you get you get something back for it. The thing about college sports that no one ever talks about when they talk about players moving, they should be able to have the freedom and coaches leave and whatnot is there's no compensation. It's just a straight up bidding war that that's it and that doesn't happen in any sport except for college football and really i guess college basketball and baseball the one only ones that matter right now when it comes to like real nil movement um it, it's just it makes absolutely no sense and he's trying every single time to go up there and explain it um it, it sometimes like you know like you've said the national media will kind of scoff at it and that doesn't mean he's wrong you know, it, it does, you know, kind of sound whiny when you do it over and over again. I will not, you know, let him off the hook for that a little bit, but it, it's important for at least somebody to talk about it. You know, you can get all this coach speak for everybody else who feels the same way, but if you don't have like the actual leaders, the, the 14 are now about to be 16 coaches expressing this in the most powerful conference, nothing will happen. And Sankey's already said like, you know, we're going to have to have Congress do something about this because no one else can figure it out. And we have a toothless NCAA, see uh, Tennessee in their deal, which I thought Kiffin's comments on that were. I thought the answer was incredible. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'm glad somebody asked uh, because nobody asked Josh Heupel about it, of course, because that's just how that goes. Um, so, I mean, it's just you got a lot out of today. 
I really do think you did, which is why I kind of like listening to this stuff. And some of it is just, and I don't mean this as a knock, some of it's Kiffin's demeanor. You know, he's pretty calm. He's pretty monotone. So when he talks about it, it kind of sounds whiny, even if he doesn't intend it to. Sure. And in his defense today, you know, sometimes in the local media settings that we've talked about ad nauseum, he'll use a question to go off on a tangent about it. But in his defense today, the guy was peppered with 25 questions about it over and over again. It's not like he brought everything back to the same subject no matter what. They just kept feeding the fire and I thought he did pretty well for the most part. I really did. I, I thought today was interesting. And I struggle sometimes as a podcast host about, you know, you and I, how many times have we talked about this? And then I'll have Borky on it. How many times have we talked about this? And I feel like if I was listening to my own podcast, a listener would be like, Jesus Christ, more NIL talk. Like, thanks. And I feel like, I, and even on my end, I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over again. So I don't want to go like too deep into the issues for the, no. um, you know, umpteenth time. But I just thought it was interesting that Kiffin again came away looking pretty, pretty sound and pretty measured on a larger stage, you know, after getting peppered with questions about it again. And we all yeah. know what's ahead of college football. We all know the problems. We don't think there's any quick fix and talking about it probably bores the audience to some degree, but I just thought that piece of it was fascinating. There were a couple other. I, I do think, I do think it would be, it would behoove him for like during all these discussions, the national media to like maybe once say that, you know, Ole Miss is like doing a really good job and trying their best. And yes. just, you know, all this is all screwed up and whatnot, but like we're doing all right. Like he kind of never does that, which is why a lot of other fan bases kind of look at it and be like, wow, he's just like really dogging his own program for not being rich enough and not doing enough. Uh, that would be my only real like critique of, of the way he kind of handles this sometimes. And that's that's actually I'm glad you said that because that's an interesting point, because I feel like in some ways I've come around on that piece of it to where, like, if you're an Ole Miss fan, that's kind of probably what's left to be desired in the annoying portion of it. But at a certain point, your personality is your personality. And Kiffin's not really a very outwardly affectionate person to the place employer that he resides in. And if you want to give him credit for something, at least he's being himself. Like, because I mean, if he did that at this point, wouldn't you be like, oh, this seems kind of fake, right? Like, at least he I'm is. I'm with you. No, I, I agree. Unapologetically, yeah. you know what I mean? No, I'm totally with you. I, I see where you're coming from. Doesn't mean he couldn't do it. But. No, 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 that absolutely does not mean he couldn't do it. But like now the brand that he's established, if he all of a sudden pivoted and started doing it, like, is this actually real or is like someone gotten in his ear finally and just told him right. to do it? But uh, so a couple other very interesting notes from Kiffin's presser. The next one I was going to go to is what you hit on a second ago. He got asked some question about the NCAA and the Tennessee penalties. And basically the crux of his answer, which was incredible, was like, you know, I saw Josh Heupel was thrilled with the results and he was thrilled with the $8 million fine and no postseason ban. That should tell you all you need to know. And I was like, damn, that was really well put. I absolutely loved it. I guess we can parlay that into a conversation about the Tennessee violations. Ole Miss might end up being the last real program to get hammered by the NCAA. That might be where we're at. We maybe thought it was Miami after North Carolina got off, then Ole Miss happened. Ole Miss might actually be the last one because, my God, if you're actually a stickler by the rule book, what a joke. It was an absolute joke. And I, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I've like really dived deep into every single violation. But, you know, other teams are like coming out on their own sites and being like Walter Nolan for Texas A&M was paid by Tennessee. Uh, you know, every like player on every team around the country, like went to Tennessee for a visit and got paid, basically. Um, and it's so funny. It's so, so, so funny to see all of the national media members talk about how severe the punishments were for Tennessee. 
being like, wow, $8 million, great, the biggest fine levied, you know, in the history of the NCAA. Like that's going to, that's actually like, you know, the same amount that you would lose if you went, didn't go to two bowl games. Oh, shoot. My bad. That was my phone. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're good. And uh, it was just so silly. And then finally, you know, Kiffin's like, you know, actually that's like the best possible outcome because if you start losing bowl games and the inability to like be a part of the 12 team playoff or the 14 playoff, like that's actually how you ruin programs. That's how you ruin momentum. That's how NIL, I mean, especially in this NIL era where like if you had a two season bowl ban now, could you imagine what the donation numbers would be for recruiting? You would have nothing. Nobody would pay a cent until it was all over. I mean, they had 18 level one violations. That's 18. three more than Ole Miss, if I remember correctly. No bowl ban. Yeah, no bowl ban. No nothing. I mean, they had some, like, honestly, not even that many scholarships reduced. It's, like, not that crazy. And, honestly, in this day and age where, like, there's no technical caps on the amount of guys you can sign and you can, like, fill them up with portal, like, I think they only got, like, two or three a year and it's self-imposed a few. Like, that's not going to make a big difference at all. So, yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was so, so awesome that somebody asked him about that because you knew you were going to get a golden answer. And I really think of all the things you thought were going to be, like, a big talking point coming out of the day, like, that answer has gotten, like, not a lot of traction. Because it's it not really a great like, flashy one. It, it's not the dumb, dumb brain base level, please click on this 250-word deal. Yeah, but you, I would have thought that, like, somebody like, wow, like, that's actually how coaches feel about that. And, like, that's actually what Tennessee's thoughts probably are about it instead of, like, saying how great a job they did and whatnot. So it was really weird. I know a lot of coaches got show causes, and no one really gives a shit about that. Jeremy Pruitt's not doing anything right now. And the assistant coaches and recruiting staff that were involved, like, it's just not making a big effect on the sport. I know, you know, these NCAA investigations from people I've talked to, and obviously I've worked with people that are part of them are like a total shit show. But like the way this one ended up being, it's just like, what's the point of these anymore? And it's probably total proof that it becomes real personal, right? Clearly Hugh Freeze rubbed the NCAA the wrong way. And it became at least in part, a very personal vendetta thing where I hate to be like a, a, I hate to be mean about it, but like Jeremy Pruitt seems so dumb. He probably didn't make any enemies with the NCAA because I'm sure when they got him in the interview room, they're like, is this guy all there? Like, what's what's his deal? Um, so like clearly he didn't like make any enemies. Kind of was not as defiant as Freeze was, but it's just I don't know. It's hilarious to me. Like, and particularly from the national media perspective, where they're now like, wow, Tennessee got hammered, and then. Ole Miss got hammered worse with multiple postseason bans, and those same people were like, oh, they got off scot-free, actually, at the end of the day. It actually wasn't that hard. So it's like, really? Like, like yeah. pick a side here, man. Like, Dan Walken, what do you actually believe? Which is just a question that probably should have been put to bed seven years ago. But the whole thing was just hilarious to me, and the way Kiffin answered it, where he was like, Pruitt seemed thrilled with that $8 million fine. It's like, yeah, no shit, because he's, he's not paying yeah. it. And, like, when's the last time a fine in pro or college sports has ever been perceived as wow, that's really going to hurt him. Of course yeah, not. Like the, the, the fine and the, the the you know take avoiding uh, of wins. You know, it's all completely meaningless. The only thing that will actually like you know really do some damage is a bowl ban. But I do you know saying that I do understand you know because these things take so damn long and they're so inept and they they take forever that like it would be a little bit silly to like give this staff and these players a bowl ban for what coaches who have not been a part of this program for two years did. 
I, I totally get that. Um, but like, you're just not, you're not make, there's no real repercussions for the actions anymore. If they're, if they're going to get away with postseason bans, then really there's no point in doing all this. We'll get back to Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you podcast is brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry football season coming up go ahead and sign up for skyboxes NFL and college football picks. If you're into gambling, you're never going to profit in the long run based off of just your own brain and your own leans before kickoff. Skybox are the professionals. All you have to do is sign up. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go all season. I'd recommend the year-long VIP pass. You can try it for all sports, one particular sport, whatever it may be. You sign up, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. And they'll send you a picks package in a nice color-coded spreadsheet categorized by unit. And boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were by not using Skybox Sports Picks. They're the only way to profit in the long run. They're the professionals. They've done it year after year and proven themselves to profit, to make their clients a profit year after year. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, the deal is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. They have all kinds of delicious cuts of meat, outstanding sausages, fresh seafood. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Truly a crown jewel of the town of Oxford. If you haven't been to LB's, you're missing out. Prime grilling season. It's hot outside. Go throw something delicious on the grill and get it from LB's. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. You're exactly right. Like the, in, in a way, it actually makes more sense. It's like, why well, punish the people that are there now? Hammer the individuals. But like, where was that train of thought when Ole Miss was going through it? You know what I mean? And and maybe it's just because I lived in it and I was working as a reporter for part of it. But didn't it feel like with Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss and as they were kind of rising to more national success, it felt like a more day-to-day storyline where when you watch Tennessee on national television this year or in an interview or wherever – was that ever mentioned? Did you ever remember that happening where it felt like a black cloud that hung over freeze in the program almost any time they got any attention? And that just never happened with Tennessee at all. No one talked about it. No, no one cared. It was more of like a laughing joke of talking about like Pruitt and the bags of cash and McDonald's, you know, McDonald's or Chick-fil-A bags or whatever. And then now you're seeing the stories coming out about like Pruitt was saying they were paying players because, you know, of like the racial tension and George Floyd, like he felt so bad, like just the stupidest shit ever <laughs> coming out from this whole deal. Um, and, you know, honestly, they should have been punished way more than anybody because one of the only things I, Dan Wilkin tweeted this and a lot of people were like, oh, like, of course, he's worried about COVID. But he was actually 100 percent right. He was literally like, I don't really care about any of this stuff, but Tennessee, like during the COVID year, similar to Arizona State, you saw what that ended up being. Uh, they were recruiting and getting kids on campus and, like, doing all of this during the COVID season where no one could visit anywhere. Like, that's bullshit because everyone kind of agreed to the same rules and the same right. protocols that we're, we're just not going to do this. Not because everyone's worried about safety of the players and, and COVID, like, you know, being a huge issue. But, like, in 2020, no one knew what was going on. Truly, right. I was in the building. Nobody knew what COVID was. The The government didn't know. The SEC didn't know. I mean, we almost didn't play a season. 
And then being able to like recruit and have kids on campus and still paying people during that time, that's, that honestly is like the worst of the worst that you could have done throughout this whole deal. And like, they just, nothing really happened to them. I was going to ask you about that. That's actually fascinating to me because, you know, I thought it reminded me of, and I think we talked about this before, like the old before NIL, like the gentleman's agreement in college baseball, where like when a kid commits to the school, nobody really recruits him and it's actually acted upon when that COVID year happened and you're in the building, you mentioned like paying kids while they're on campus. Was that something where it's like, don't do this. It's a like in this dirtiest industry possible. It's a rule we're not going to break. Or was it just kind of one of those things after the fact, you're like, really, they were, they were going that far over the speed limit during a pandemic. Like, how do you now in retrospect, you worked in the building. What was your reaction when you saw that that was the case? Well, I mean, it, it's so difficult to say because like in 2020, uh, especially in that like spring summer part. I mean, we weren't even in the office, right? Because we were, everyone was just like, they closed the office after like a few people got it and they're like, just, just go somewhere else. So I mean, I went did like that. virtual recruiting initiatives. If I remember, correctly. I literally, I mean, I, w- I remember clearly like sending over the first list, like to levy of running backs to watch in 2020 from the golf course in Baton Rouge. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, and by the way, Quinshawn Judkins was on that list at number two. Um, there you go. Yeah, some, some, uh, but no. So like, then when you get back, like, no, there was no camps. We didn't have kids on campus during the season. You couldn't have kids on campus. You couldn't do it. And if you wanted to, they could just go to the game and you could, yeah, you could finagle your way to set them up to get in the stands, of course. Um, but you couldn't have actual visits. You couldn't be meeting with these kids. That was just the rules. And it was not one of those rules like, oh, like, you know, the rule is not to pay players. And of course, everyone does that. This was just like one of those things like, yeah, we can't do this right now. Because it's an Uh actual rule tied in by a global pandemic that like you might think is like tied into like federal and state law at that time. It's not just as an NCAA rule. You're like, you can't be that close to each other. Right. And like, yeah, I get it. It's it's all like in hindsight, it's a little silly because it was just not. I mean, it was a big deal. Let's not say that. I mean, but it wasn't what people thought it was, especially with the young kids, blah, 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 blah. I don't care about all the politics. But it just, it was a no-go and you just didn't do it. And you didn't have time to worry about that. I mean, you got tested every single day. You had so many protocols, like having kids on campus, like the last thing you could be worrying about and knowing that like they were like having plenty of kids on campus, Arizona state the same way. And they got, you know, semi hammer, not really uh, is, is BS. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure other programs may have done it as well, but they didn't get caught. Tennessee did. And they deserve more for that. I know what you mean when you're saying that, because it's like it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you can't have kids on campus and you're more like in a sport where everyone breaks the rules. You're more obliged to abide by it because this is some new thing. This is not some NCA mandate. This was a global pandemic at the time that no one knew what it was. So they were you know, everyone likes to use the old Miss example of like, oh, you know, you can go 60 in a 45, but you can't go 90. That sounded like Tennessee in that sense was going like 150 in a 40 or something. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't read through like exactly all that was going on during that. Um, But just having been in that building during COVID and like knowing what we were dealing with and kind of like really just the mystery of all of it. And then thinking that Tennessee was just having a bunch of kids, you know, meeting in the coaches offices the whole time is nonsense. Yeah, and th- so I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask. I was so when I found out about the Jeremy Pruitt line about how he was thinking about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, I fell into a deep Twitter thread, and it was someone quoting that report about uh, 
Pruitt saying that he felt for George Floyd and all that. And the person that quoted it, and I can't remember if this was actually a tweet or a message board thread. It was an old clip of Pruitt when he was on two-a-days with Rush Probes at Hoover High School. Remember, he was the defensive coordinator? Yes. It was him at a dinner looking at some guy eating asparagus and him saying, what's that? And the guy said, it's asparagus. It's good for you. You should try it. He goes, never heard of it. Yes. So that guy, with with that in mind, answering a question from an NSA investigator saying he had George Floyd in mind. Can you imagine like the NSA investigator was like, what is wrong with this dude? Like, is he all there? That was just such an amazing, like, I guess is the beauty of the internet, like a 45 second juxtaposition to me. I was like, holy shit. Like this guy's just kind of dumb. No, I mean, they were probably interviewing him. He was probably like, you know, your typical kid on SVU who like knows nothing. (laughs) It's just like, he admits to everything. And like, it's just so way in out of his depths uh, from how to handle that. But no, he's an idiot, clearly. What a time to be alive. Just incredible content. A couple other notes I had from Kiffin's today. He got asked the AI question. Clearly there was a reporter there. We texted about that this week, talking about artificial intelligence in college football, you actually made me think about something that I had not thought about before, where I texted you that I think the morning after I recorded with Borky and we kind of made fun of it where it's like, why would you ask that? What does that actually have to do with college football and recruiting? But you seem to think it's actually interesting. I know full disclosure, very little about AI. The only thing I know about AI is it can now write press releases for the company that I work for and do like menial writing tasks that would honestly put the uh, old copywriter that I used to be out of business why do you find this actually to be a fascinating thing? How do you think this could be implemented within a college football program? Well, I thought it was a stupid question to Brian. So Brian Kelly got asked that question first because he was going first. And I was yeah. like, what is this guy doing? Like, what is, I mean, what is Brian Kelly going to say about this? And then when Brian Kelly said, like, actually, no, like, that's something we've thought about and trying to, like, you know, build an ideal profile, like position by position and recruiting and helping it, you know, manage our roster and just adding another, you know, piece of, you know, information, which is obviously, I mean, everyone just needs as much information as you can when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, it kind of made me step back and be like, wow, like, uh, that's actually something I had not thought about. Uh, I'm fascinated to know, like, is there someone out there that is assisting with this in college football right now? Uh, is there someone out there in the NFL that they, they talked to that, you know, has brought this up in terms of like, you know, building a, a certain draft profile for players and like trying to find, you know, all the different details and different, you know, film and, you know, different, you know, calculating, you know, different measurements and high, you know, height, length, speed, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I don't know what the future of that looks like and, you know, what, teams are implementing it but i did think kelly's answer you know not completely dismissing it was like oh that's interesting somebody actually might be using this and i'd really be fascinated to know in what kind of way shape or form so when we were talking about this on monday i just threw out a crazy idea and i'll throw it out to you because you would know better and i was just like i was grasping at straws it's like what could this actually have any sort of significance is there any shot that AI becomes the coveted book that Matt Lindsay, the analytics book that Matt Lindsay <laughs> used to hold on the sideline? Like, is that a possibility? I have no idea. That's where my mind went first, though. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that book and like the analytics of that, like technically is just a written form of probably what artificial intelligence intelligence would tell you. It's just about right. probabilities and odds and, you know, are they in your favor and not in your favor, depending on certain situations. 
but I bet you'd be able to come to the conclusion a little bit faster. Um, but I, I don't think we're like close to that yet, but I do think uh, kind of using artificial intelligence for certain gameplay scenarios and, and certain uh, aspects of the game and roster management is something that I bet people are looking into. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, man, if we ever get to, and I feel like we're still working out the kinks with AI where if it's ever actually like implemented and they're like, should we go for it here? And then AI says yes. And it fails miserably. Like, Oh, I thought this was European football. We were telling you to be more aggressive on a corner kick. It's like, Oh, well, shit, like AI screwed up here. Well, I mean, couldn't you imagine? I mean, like, look, I don't know much about AI. I did just see the new Mission Impossible movie, which was talking about it uh, quite a lot. Seems very dangerous there to Tom Cruise. Uh, but, like, could you imagine, <laughs> like, somebody programming artificial intelligence and, you know, putting on LSU's defensive film and then, you know, requiring it to, to find ways. Like tendencies. To, the tendencies and finding ways. I mean, they have – you know, technology like that to find tendencies, but it's pretty cut and dry. It's like, oh, this team runs, you know, man to man 70% of the times between third and fourth downs when it's five yards to go. Like, that's not much. But if you could say, like, hey, these guys move this way when they do cover two, your best option to beat them is blah, 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 blah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if someone is really trying to figure out the most efficient way to get the best answer to your problem, which is like really just football and strategy and coaching you know, in a nutshell. So I, I really don't think it was a stupid question. I know I listened to you and Porky talk about it, but I don't think um, I would have thought any differently had a coach actually not acknowledged that that was a possibility. Right. And then when you talk about like the studying tendencies and there's already technology out there, it's not the fact that it's going to find greater tendencies than manpower or whatever technology is already available would it's, it would be a time-saving mechanism right because the whole thing with ai is that it just spits stuff out instantly like it would just save you a lot of time is what i would think would be the advantage if that's something it could ultimately do sure instead of a ga spending two hours looking at texas a&m's front uh ai can spit out exactly what they're running in 30 seconds saves everybody a lot of time and effort and i bet a lot of college coaches with the, the schedule they have to deal with and all that crap you're looking for something to, you know, scale down all the hours and modify the efficiency of everything that they do is probably a pretty big piece of the puzzle and trying to figure out how to, like, make people want to stay in this business. So we are the most official AI experts. So please take all of that conversation as gospel. That's This is what will happen in college football in the next five years. Another note that I had from today, Kiffin got a question from some dude who basically just got up on the microphone and said, People say that you, uh, we look alike, and he just goes, "What's your mom's name? Did you see this?" Yeah, I saw that was in like the breakaway so session, right? Yeah, like what? Do you know how much balls you have to have to just like stand there, wait for the mic at SEC Media Days, and look at Kiffin and Bay? Hey, people say we look alike. Like, what's up? I mean, it's one of the silliest things ever. And by, I saw actually a picture of the guy, and he doesn't look like Kiffin at all. So, like, it it's even worse. It's not like Kiffin saying Tosh. what's your mom's name though made me yeah. die. That, that was no, so it's, it's not like Daniel Tosh showed up for like a skit at SC Media Days and was like, hey Lane, some people say we look alike. Like that would actually make sense, you know, because they or like Harris English showed up and was like, some people say, you know, I decided to skip the British Open to come ask you this question. Holy uh, shit, they do like, look alike. You ever thought about that? You never seen the Harris English and Kiffin look like weirdly alike. And, you know, I know a, a mutual friend of ours, ex-girlfriend, now dates Keith Mitchell. And he... No, well, I thought... Yeah, no, absolutely. It's... um, 
I can't even think of his name right now. He's your age from Oxford. Yeah, Henry. Yeah, yeah Henry. Yeah, he love I'm mentioning this on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, she I do that. Now yeah, married to her. Keith Mitchell. She comes Claire to Brown, right? <laughs> They're all Georgia Sea Island guys. Uh, he, um, Hudson Swafford and Harris English gets mixed up for each other. So we might have a triplet situation here. Interesting. Very interesting. Harris English has won me a lot of money. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of him. <laughs> but yeah, they, from like certain angles, you'd be like, golly, like that really does look like Kiffin. I've never, this is the last tangent I'll go on on this random side thing, but that made me think of something. Ole Miss had a guy, Jonathan Randolph, played on the PGA Tour for a little bit. I don't think he's still playing. I think he lives in Oxford now. I actually think I played against him on a softball team rec league. They smoked us. Yeah. Um, he's a stocky-ish guy that um, has darker hair. I'll never forget standing, standing at the Sanderson one time on like the 16th hole. He's walking up. I was following him because he's a Mississippi guy. And I watched some kid look at his dad and go, that's Patrick Reed. I was like, holy shit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh no! I was like, I'm not going to tell this kid, but I'm sure his dad is like, really? So that anyway, that made me laugh. Um, the other one that made me laugh was Kirk Bolts, guy covers Texas for the Austin American Statesman. Basically, asked Kiffin if he would rank the most influential boosters in the SEC. What I mean, that's going to be on the Mount Rushmore of the dumb questions we get to in a second. What do you think the guy's going to say to that? He had a terrific answer, by the way. I'm, I could not be more complimentary of Kiffin of just how he handled it with, like, wit and just kind of like, I'm going to screw with this guy a little bit. This yeah. was tier. What is he? What is it? What is the coach going to say to that? Absolutely nothing. But Kiffin invites it. And, you know, he does when he starts talking about it, starts cracking jokes, like finally the media opens up and like, I mean, it was a hilarious question. It was an incredibly stupid question. But it was one that Kevin handled like really perfectly. It was like I'd like, I really like, would like to. I would really, really, really. And then like he went to like you know, Sankey told me we don't always have to have the answer to everything. And basically, like he was his dad. I loved it. He handled that masterfully. No, it was great. It was a long, uh, the end of a long line of like really stupid questions throughout the week. So the other piece of it, I think we wrapped up everything. Kiffin like had to say today. I didn't find anything else that fascinating. Did we miss anything? Is there anything else that stood out to you other than the fact that no. he got? Ask like no Ole Miss questions. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's like, I guess kind of interesting. Maybe it, you know, I'd be interested to see where Ole Miss is voted tomorrow or this afternoon or whenever they come out that in the West. Maybe people like don't really think too much about Ole Miss in the media, which is why they just didn't care to ask any questions. Um, I mean, he didn't bring a quarterback to media days, which I th always think is like really stupid, but I get it. Uh, he didn't want him ask getting asked about like, what do you think? You're like, do you think you're the starter? Blah, 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 blah. Cause I'm sure he would have brought Dart. Um, so I mean, there really wasn't that many interesting questions to ask, which is kind of usually rare with Kiffin. Usually there's kind of something going on, whether that's you know, really rare for Ole Miss in general at Media Days. There's always some sort of external question to ask. Um, so I didn't think there was really anything too profound that needed to be asked besides some of the questions that were. I guess we'll go there for a half second. He got asked one question. One of like the three questions about Ole Miss he got asked was about Spencer Sanders' health. And he said Spencer Sanders should be fully healthy for fall camp. You know, we talked about this at the beginning of spring. And like Spencer Sanders, like the mystery guy, which like, I don't know what to make of this. Like you seem kind of bullish on his chances pre-spring, but then he didn't actually participate in a lot of stuff. Has your stance on the quarterback thing changed at all? Because the way I'll preface it with this, the way I view it now is, it's probably Jackson Dart on a short leash. 
Yeah, I mean, every single person, every single media outlet seems to believe that Dart is the starting quarterback and that, like, they actually believe that he's really improved this spring and, like, it's his job. And and then, of course, it brings up the question for everybody. It's like, well, why is Spencer Sanders there? And uh, if you you heard people from different local beats kind of, like, asking that question to different Ole Miss people throughout the week, um, and no one really had a great answer, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I, I do. And think to it, be fair, to interject real quick, that's no, 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 no. a lot of people – connected to the program that are non-coaches were asking from the start absolutely including us by the way we were both yeah, like, yeah absolutely what's going, on what's going on here um so I, I get you know it, it's just a weird it's a weird deal I think Jackson's a starter Kiffin has been really coy about it he's been very complimentary of Jackson which you know throughout last year like he really wasn't at all um, it made a lot of people think that like he really didn't like dart and was bringing in Sanders to to be the quarterback, which I think is a pretty understandable conclusion uh, considering. Uh, but I still think there's like a real competition there. Um, I don't think Howard is really a part of it. I don't think Simmons, who just got there, will be a part of it. Uh, but if he's 100% healthy, I, I don't think it's a – I would say it's like 95% Jackson Dart is going to be your starting quarterback against Mercer. But I don't think it's fully done um, just quite yet. Which is honestly in this modern day and age, probably the way you should handle things, right? You should always kind of keep the guy looking over the other shoulder to some degree, even if though like the peripheral of it and it may be rough around the edges in terms of how you handle it media wise. So I'll throw a take at you. And I can't remember if I've said this on a podcast we've done before. I'm certainly probably not the first person to say this. My thought on a piece of this is whether it's Dart or Sanders, and let's just say, you know, we're consistent. We probably think it's Dart. Are we missing the forest for the trees where whoever the starter is, Sanders, Dart, I'll put Dart in there for the sake of the argument. If they struggle early on, are we missing the real storyline here where if they struggle offensively, they start calling for the kid? Because Walker Howard was clearly very impressive in camp. Are we missing that piece of it? Could we do this podcast in early October and people are calling for Walker Howard to go in? Have you thought about that at all? Well, I'll put my take on top of your take, which is that I believe Walker Howard will be starting eventually during the season. Oh, okay. I, I do. I really do. Um, now, there's a lot of things you can contribute to that. It can be injury-related. It can be play-related. But I, I think you're seeing him start at some point this season. Um, and that's just a hot take. It's just a thought of mine. Uh, because we don't know what the real dynamic with this battle is. Because everyone that you've heard talk about Howard and why he's here is that he's kind of been guaranteed second string reps. So I would be absolutely fascinated to see what would happen if Dart goes out against Tulane and throws two interceptions in the first half. Are they going to put Howard in second actually, or are they, or is Sanders like really actually in this battle on this roster and a part of this team and a part of this quarterback competition? And if he would go in second, because if that's the case, then like, Howard's got to be asking himself, like, why did I end up leaving Ole Miss for the exact same scenario that I would have had at LSU? Um, so that's kind of brings me to my take is I think that if Dart ends up, you know, struggling early on, that it might be Howard that goes in instead of Sanders. And that's also not even bringing up the fact that Sanders, for all we know, could graduate. I don't know how that works, but he might not even be on this team. Like, who knows what's going to be like going into fall and after fall camp. There's just so many different variables, which is why this season is so fascinating with that entire room. I mean, what if freaking Austin Simmons comes out and is like an absolute monster and it's just like he's un he, you can't not play him. 
if something goes wrong with your starter. I mean, who knows? It's not inconceivable. I've watched that kid's film. He's a freaking monster. He is so good. Um, so, I mean, there's four quarterbacks who all can play, uh, ideally, and how they go about it, you know, maybe we're overanalyzing it, and it's just Dart, and he's actually really improved, and he's your guy. But that, you know, he wasn't great last year. He was good. And he flashed, but he was definitely not what Kiffin wanted. And he's rebuilt that room, and we're going to have to figure out where it goes from here. And we'll have much more time to discuss it, but it really is fascinating because, you know, you mentioned the Simmons thing kind of like somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but like, hey, it's not inconceivable. That would be the most Lane Kiffin headline ever. It's like first D1 quarterback that's like 18 months away from being able to legally buy tobacco is actually going to start an SEC game. It is a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm just bringing him up because – No, but I know what you mean. You can't rule anything out. With particularly with Lane and the way it goes, and it's I don't know that whole thing is just fascinating to me, but I'm sure ad nauseum will discuss that throughout August. That made me think of one last Kiffin point before we get to some general uh making fun of headlines and some Judkin stuff. Lane got asked about NIL today, and in the sense of how do you deal with it within the locker room? And I don't want to classify this as a stupid question, but one of the things that I've always kind of scoffed at. And I've talked to a couple players about this and in no official on the record capacity, but like he got asked about like, how do you deal with that in the locker room and guys getting paid more than others? And you've been in that setting. And I understand that when you were at Ole Miss, it predated NIL. It was like the first year of the portal COVID and all that, but it somewhat predated NIL. But like, that doesn't strike me as something that dudes talk about. I mean, it's not even that different from a professional locker room. I just find the idea of, I don't know. I'll just use a random example. Caden Priestcorn was like, well, Trig makes more NIL money than me, but uh, I'm starting. Again, just a wild example. I just don't think that comes up in a college locker room. Do you agree or disagree? I just don't think that's people things people discuss. I completely agree with you that I think people overanalyze the thought processes of these kids during out of football season, that all they're concerned about is money. And that that's all they talk about in the locker room. And they're not talking about anything else except for like what their current NIL deal is. It's I think it's incredibly overblown. Uh, the one thing I think that does come up with this situation is kids that have been on the team for a few years, knowing that these high school recruits have made more money than they have. I think that's really what these question boils down to. It's not about like guys that are juniors, like, oh, you're making $20,000 more than me. Let me go talk to the collective about this. Like, this is bullshit. Like no one's having that conversation, but I don't doubt for a second that some of the guys that are like a linebacker, let's say is like looking at Perkins and knowing that he made whatever he made in IL and be like, man, like I haven't even like struck a deal yet. And I'm actually supposed to be the starter. Like, you know, this is a little odd, but even that, is like probably in really small, minute situations. I just don't think it's talked about with these kids as much as as people want. People want to believe that that's all they talk about. I just, I kind of find it hard to believe. And I've, again, this is never like a conversation in any official capacity, but just the sense I've gotten from talking to a couple of people, just, I would say off the record around town, to say for the lack of a better phrase is, I also don't think they have an acute understanding of what everyone else makes. I don't think this, you know, you like, it's not like pro sports where you can go and spo track and it's like, this guy's contract is this. I don't think they actually have a great understanding of like, this dude's making this per month, unless they actively tell each other because they're buddies. Right. 
And if that's the case, like they're telling each other because they're friends and they're like, yeah, this is the deal. You know, I, I didn't see what car Judkins bought from Nick Saban's dealership, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, people <laughs> might know that, yeah, he makes a little bit of money. He actually just bought a car. Um, but that's not new for any of these elite athletes because they've all been making money before. Just because they have a new name slapped on it and that it's like semi-legal doesn't mean like those are all going to change like exactly. It's nothing new. You think all those Alabama guys are talking about all the money they got when they're all driving Dodge Chargers? Like they don't give a shit. Um, It's just not – it's a really overblown aspect to all of this, in my opinion. Maybe I'm way wrong and like kids are walking into Kiffin's office every day asking for more money. That's Maybe that's possible. Maybe that's why he's complaining about it so much. I find that really hard to believe, though. And even if you want to frame it from a pro sports setting, it's not that different than any other job. I'm sure, like, my job is like, well, I am I do more work than this guy, but he makes more money than me. That's just not a thought process you have at the office every day. It's like, I'm, it's like, I'm not doing any more work until I get paid as much as this guy who's a worthless asshole. That's just that's not how anything works. You don't discuss money and salary and what you're making that freely. Just in general, that's just kind of a societal thing. A hundred percent. Oh, and by, but like the only time you would in like pro sports and Portner can tell you this is because they bring up contract comps all the time because you can look at them, yep. but that's only in like free agency deals. So yeah, I bet they do talk about it when they're trying to figure out NIL deals for certain players. They might be like, okay, this guy's making this, like, that's what my comp could be, should be, will be, but life's not fair. You're probably not going to get it depending on the situation. So, no, like you're exactly right. Like no one in society, unless you're like a New York investment banker, is talking about how much money they make all day long. Like literally nobody. Like I have never had that conversation once. Um, so it, it just it, it all seems like something that the media wants to like drive in as a talking point with all this stuff. And I just it's not. New York investment banker is a tremendous example of that. That is probably the only setting where that ever happens. Judkins, he goes to media day today. When I talked to Borky on Monday, I was like, I don't find anything that fascinating from it. And then he kind of like made me pause a little bit because so last year I did a a decent amount of NIL interviews for the Grove Collective and helped them write their player profiles. And so I got to talk to these guys and I've discussed this on the podcast before pretty much unfettered, like no media relations person there for about 30, 45 minutes. And I got super lucky in terms of the access and I wasn't asking them like super in-depth stuff, but I got to talk to Judkins for like half an hour. And then I did a story on him later in the year where I basically used most of that interview, talked to his mom, uh, talked to other people around him. I'll put it that way, but never talked to him again. And Borky was like, no, no, this is actually kind of the first time that Quinshawn Judkins will be kind of on a national stage. He's a good kid. He's a charismatic kid. He's got a good personality. This is actually the first time we've ever heard from him. And I was like, you're actually right. Like he didn't really talk in interviews last year, that freshman policy, whatever. I get it. We don't need to dive into that. But I feel like this was kind of the first taste we got of Quinshawn Judkins, who's a smart kid, got a great personality that the national media and people outside of Ole Miss have ever seen or heard from him. It's like, it's the biggest problem in college sports right now is this idea that we have to like shelter every single part yep. of this sport away from everybody because we're so concerned about some sort of like bullshit competitive advantages based off of an 18 year old talking at a post practice press conference or God forbid they say something candid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and like, you know, Quinchon, I listened to a lot of interviews today, like great personality, great kid, 
uh, kind of like literally said nothing of like real importance, which is not his fault because. But he made it sound interesting is the point. He made it sound interesting because he's a great interview. He, he looked incredibly happy to be there, happy to talk to everybody. He seems awesome. I know he's awesome because like I was there when we were recruiting him. Like literally everybody couldn't rave enough about this kid. Um, but these the all the players that they're trained for weeks ahead of this thing to like say nothing, do nothing, give all coach speak and superlatives. And it's just it's so annoying. Like they're not going to do anything that's going to give you less advantage to win this upcoming season or in the season that's seasons ahead because they like talked about how you know practice has been at Ole Miss. It's just it's so silly, it's so stupid. It's like it is such a weird – you have such a disconnect from these players. And even Kiffin brought it up like Kiffin doesn't even know these players that well, which I thought was one of the craziest things he said. <laughs> I honestly forgot about it when he was talking about watching film. He was like, oh, yeah, that's the USC wide receiver, the Memphis tight end. Like I don't even know these kids' names yet, but they're on the practice field. Uh, couldn't believe he said that. But it's true. Like we don't know these kids because there's so many new kids. So it's not like you're going to get – it's a rarity that you get a kid like Judkins for three years on campus, really big player, really big star. And this is the first time we've ever heard of him. He broke the single season records in rushing yards and touchdowns, and we know nothing about him. And the average fan has ever heard him talk outside of the season. Nothing about him. It's just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. It's just like a bigger point. All these teams not bringing their quarterbacks. Like Devin Leary from Kentucky not going is a joke. And I've heard multiple people say that. Like, why is this guy not going? He's a guy that's taken over from a first round or should have, could have been a first round quarterback. Everyone thinks he's going to be great. And we're not going to hear from him. Like, why not? Like, it's so, so, so stupid. I mean, even Alabama, I get they're having a real competition. But, like, why can't Jalen Milrow be there? Why couldn't Jackson Dart have been there? Like, that's who people want to talk to because we never get to talk to these kids ever. And, like, I'm not even a media member, but, like, I would be interested in the guys, you know, that are the big-time players from all these schools. And, like, they just didn't go. It's just so stupid. I've had this gripe for years, and I, I get it to some degree because I covered one of the people that I would say is an SID's worst nightmare. That's our guy, Kadir Shepard. Um, yeah, but no one wants to talk. listen to him talk. No exactly. one He's also not an impact player, but, like, it was just so funny. I know I I've totally told this, it. it's, I know I've told this story in the pod before, but, like, oh. Don't know how I did that. We'll cut that out. I, uh, but like I covered Kadir Shepard and like in 2018, he got asked some question about McGriff's dumbass defenses. And he was like covering a running back as a defensive end coming out of the flat. And we we're like, what happened on that play? And he's like, I just turned around. I realized I fucked up. And then like the media relations people went white. And then we finally got him like a year later after not talking to him. And he gave away apparently like their stunt blocks or what they're going to do against Alabama. And he just goes, Don't think I was supposed to say that. But, like, that's such an outlier. If you could just get past your fear and paranoia, most of these guys have awesome personalities that you should market way more than this outdated way of thinking of, like, we have to protect these dudes at all costs. They're not allowed to say anything. And, like, the most valuable assets, if they're not old enough, we're not going to let them talk. I just think that's really dumb. Think about all the stuff that the NFL and NBA that they do from, like, Netflix standpoint and all these different shows – that like really showcase like you know like I'm a Saints fan like I feel like I know Jameis Winston like literally personally he has done so many different interviews he's been on so many different videos he's been all over the place he's not even the starting quarterback anymore I've like heard more from Derek Carr and he hasn't played a snap for the Saints than I have from uh Jackson Dart 
I mean, a hundred percent. I have no idea anything about Jackson Dar unless somebody writes about him on the beat. I mean, because you just don't ever see him. I don't understand why college football wouldn't want to have their own version of hard knocks. And I get the NFL don't even they don't even want to have it, but it doesn't have to be even that extensive. I know the Ole Miss has the season. I totally get it. Um, that has been a really good recruiting tool for Ole Miss. You know, you you do get to learn a lot about certain aspects. But they even kind of like, I don't want to say dumb that down, but it's not the same when yeah. you're being, it's just not exactly the same of what I'm trying to get. I'm maybe not making a great point of what I'm trying to say. It's really a, a college football encompassing issue, not necessarily an Ole Miss issue, if that makes any sense. Like we just don't know these players. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is maybe the best receiver to ever play college football in the last, like since Julio Jones. Do you, you know, know nothing about, about him? him? You know anything about him? I know nothing about him. I've never heard him talk. I've never heard, seen him in videos, except for him just mossing people on game days. Like that seems really stupid to me. And it's, I, it's, it feeds into a, the whole idea. You know, we've talked about a lot, like what a hard time it is to be a college football fan. Cause all the transfers, you don't know these guys. And then they also, you get no access to them. So that just like widens the disconnect between player and fan, which I think ultimately hurts your product and like last point on this and not to like make myself an example but like I'm not a full-time media member in many, anymore and people are more willing to give me information now that I don't work in media because they're no they know I'm not going to go like on a message board and report it because I don't give it one give a damn about hard news and two it's just weird that I view it as less intimidating but the other aspect of that is now I don't really care like if I want to go around someone to talk to Jackson Dart or his dad or whomever else like, what is the media relations? They're going to ban me from games. Guess what? I don't go anyway. You know what I mean? And like that, like, I feel like I have more freedom to do more stuff and I don't even work in the media, which just shows it's an ass backwards system. But I don't know. I feel like they should change that. Maybe they'll come around to it, but it seems like they have no incentive to do it. Um, all right. Are you ready to get to make fun of headlines? Ready for the dumb headline section of this before we get to soccer corner and wrap up? Yes, I'll give a little palate cleanser because you had probably the best one. You quote tweeted something earlier that I just thought was hysterical, but I will give a little palate cleanser. This is not even a headline. They changed SEC media days this year where Sankey introduces all the coaches. Did you know this? And they like they play the fight song. Very awkward. I, I saw the fight song, which is weird. But yeah, he, he introduces all of them. Yeah, he introduced one Hugh Freeze and he gave the whole introduction of you know, he got an associate's degree from McKinney Community College just like I did. And I was like, did Sankey go to Northwest? What are they about to make the connection here? And Sankey was just like, no, I went to one in another state, but we both went to one at one time. I was like, wow, this guy's really grasping at straws. And then he was like, we both, like, he became a grandfather. He's got three daughters, now introducing Hugh Freeze. And I'm like, you just tried to blackball this guy, probably rightfully so, from the SEC for half a, half a decade. But you're now introducing him as, like, the lovable uncle down the street. I just found that whole dynamic to be absolutely hysterical because it was so fake. No, <laughs> but it, it makes it me was... laugh. And everyone's smiling, but it cracks me up. And they have to do it for like every single he has to do it for every single coach. And it's always like these real awkward, like like you said, grasping at straws connections to him. Um it, he also honestly like gets up there and like looks like he would rather be anywhere else than having yes. introduced uh, all these coaches. So yeah, that one was was great. And you know, to flip back to like my original point, and we don't have to go on this tangent for too long. Uh, speaking of Hugh Freeze, he would be one of the guys that in the golf tournament I would fade. I would take him to miss the cut. I would take him against any matchup for the tournament for the first round. 
he walked up on that podium and basically said, we are in big trouble for this year. <laughs> he's like, we, I mean, he literally basically said it. He's like, oh, we're trying to catch up. Like he is very concerned about his team. Um, so I'm a huge fade Auburn, at least early in the season. Uh, but so he, he was one of my negative on, on we, that end. We talked about this earlier this week. This is kind of PQ freeze, though. Nobody's giving us a chance. Our roster sucks. Again, I think Auburn's probably going to finish last in the SEC West. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything crazy. But after watching the 2012 Ole Miss football season with my own eyes, that guy could have JA players out there and probably will them to four wins. And I hate, and I know that sounds like a, it stings off the tongue to compliment Hugh Freeze. But to his credit, I mean, you worked for Siski. He told me a couple stories. I can't remember if it was on or off the podcast. Where he was like, you wouldn't believe the shit we were doing with offensive line play and just gimmicky stuff to see if it worked. And it kind of worked, and they almost won nine games. And that was a different SEC that year. But I guess my point is, and I, I relate it to you earlier this week, underdog, nobody believes in us. Let's make a speech where we just get some help from the guy from Georgia, Illinois, Ohio, that whole pre-Egg Bowl speech. That is PQ freeze. So I'm not going to sell completely just because that is where he makes his hay, in my opinion. I, I don't discount anything you've just said. Um, I'm just saying that he walked up there in like the least preachy, least like enthusiastic Hugh freeze I've seen in years and was like basically like we're in trouble. That's that's what I got from him, which is not what I was expecting. I was expecting more of like a rah rah, happy to be here, praise you know, praise the Lord for this opportunity and for the team, and we're you know, we're so you know together. And it was like actually we had to like go get a lot of players, and like I'm not sure we improved to the level we need to be. <laughs> uh, so fading. Don't care what you say. <laughs> no, and I know what you're saying because it's a one. It's a different time. But when you said that, it made me think, and I was too lazy to do it, I would have loved to have gone back and watched 2012 Ole Miss Hugh Freeze at SEC Media Days and seen if the message was any different. Because he had known he was in somewhat trouble at that point. But, like, if it was less doom and gloom than this year's version of Hugh Freeze, that's how you would know for a fact, like, okay, they may actually, like, really suck. Yeah, well, they have to go watch that to get in tune for my team totals later. <laughs> I might have to do that later as well. Now getting into the main dumb headlines, I don't know where to start. I've already covered the whole fine bomb thing. Um, shout out to AL.com to just becoming BuzzFeed. That article that I read and did not watch the fine bomb segment, the lead into that article was fireworks happen at SEC Media Days on Thursday as Paul Feinbaum calls Lane Kiffin a hypocrite. And then it was like a mildly tame quote, just being like, this is a little hypocritical. And I was like, really? Is that what we're doing at AL.com these days? You just want as many people to click as possible. Daytime fireworks, Ole Miss. What a thought. But yours takes the cake. Quinshawn Judkins bought a car from a Nick Saban Mercedes dealership. Quote, I'm right where I want to be at Ole Miss and got the car I wanted. So tinfoil hat. He bought a car from a Nick Saban Mercedes dealership. I think that means he's at Alabama in 2024. Thoughts? <laughs> like, what I, are we doing? I couldn't. I wonder. I want to know. I mean, maybe it says in the articles. I did retweet it, but I actually didn't even click on it, which is classic. Um, like, who who asked him that? Like, how did that even come up? It is I would love question. to know. I'd have to go back and mine no through idea. the half hour interviews. But like, who asked that with a straight face? Yeah, I mean, everybody from Alabama is trying to get something out of Judkins. You can just tell they're trying to, like, semi-recruit him. I know in that, like, breakaway segment I watched, 
um, where Neil was asking a bunch of questions. And like some guy from Auburn was like, do you think you're gonna have a lot of family at the Auburn game since you live so close? Like, you know, did you ever like visit Auburn when you were growing up? Like, how do you feel about Auburn? Like, you think you want to go to Auburn, which is basically what he should have just said uh, instead of going through the whole process. And I guess some Alabama guy was like, I guess you didn't re- get recruited by Alabama, but I heard you bought a car from Nick Saban. Do you want to go to Alabama? Like that's, they're doing their hardest to try to make that happen. Um, it is one of the funnier headlines I've ever seen um, because usually when it comes to cars and Saban it, and players, it's like they got this from a mysterious Dodge Charger from like, you know, Homewood. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, good for Quinshawn. I hope it's a nice car. Uh, I mean, Saban's probably getting some residuals, which is just a funny conversation <laughs> in itself. Um, but good well, for it him. sounds like he might need it after the Mercedes dealerships in uh, BR. I heard that did not go that well. Yes, all star chef, all star Mercedes from my good friend Mr. McKay uh, kind of overtook that one. Not a great deal. Saban's actually been in a few tough deals that don't get talked about enough. Um, I've heard including about including real estate one somewhere that I may or may not know a lot about. <laughs> that might be why he's seventy something years old with no gray hair and uh, no uh, no plans to retire anytime soon. But at the risk of like people rolling their eyes at this, this was not some clickbait. SB Nation deal. This is written by Chris Lowe at ESPN. And it says, oh yeah, this was the article. This is linked to the article. Judkins told ESPN on Thursday that he purchased his Mercedes, a new one last year at Mercedes in Birmingham, which is co-owned by Saban. Judkins is from Pike Road, Alabama. Blah, blah, blah. Said he didn't know that Saban had a stake in the dealership. Quote, it was the second time when I went, when I bought it and I met his son. I didn't know Saban had a son, to be completely honest. He told me he was Coach Saban's son. Breaking news. I just, I could go on a mile-long tangent here, but, like, what has become of Chris Lowe and ESPN? Like, what what the hell is that? If that was sporting news or, I don't know, another example, I'd be like, this makes sense. But, like, this is on ESPN's website. It's not that interesting to me. It's kind of funny, but, like, that's not news. That's not something that needs to be on there. At all, especially since, no, I mean, I don't even know where the conversation came from. I guess it was just a question asked to him at some point. But, like, who knows that? Like, who cares about that? It's it's just, it's, I, I, I don't know. When I saw it was an ESPN article, I was like, really? That's what we're doing these days? One of the other few headlines that I found interesting from this week was, oh, I had it earlier Oh, the whole AG, AJC thing with the uh, Kirby losing control of his program. Did you see this? The Atlanta Journal-Constitution had done a lot of reporting on the Kirby program. You know, they had that accident with the kid that ended up signing with the Eagles or getting drafted by the Eagles and all that. They issued yeah. a retraction and fired the reporter. How close have you followed this story? Did you have any thoughts on that? I thought that was kind of wild. So my understanding was there was multiple stories uh, from AJC about Georgia and the program, a lot of them surrounded around, of course, the the death of the player and the, and the recruiting assistant that now has turned into a lawsuit that I'm sure will be a disaster um, just for all involved. It's just, it's, it's a terrible situation. Um, and then it kind of went into like the, the speeding from like, you know, four or five different players, which kind of makes it like a problem um, that Kirby seemed to pretty much dismiss during his open opening statement. Um, but this, my understanding is this article was about the handling of like the sexual uh, allegations against players and that like Georgia players were like rallying around this and like making it like a team thing. 
And then it turns out that like he said 11 players have had issues and like have been stayed on the team. And then they didn't actually name any of the players, which is understandable. You wouldn't necessarily have to do that. But then when they did back to like double down on the research and they like could not corroborate a single one of them. And that it was like total kind of nonsense for the three players that were named and like the 11 that weren't, you can't do that. I mean, that is, that's a no, no. So that that's one of the headlines that is like crazy. And of course, like you have people like, that doesn't mean it's not a problem. Like, you know, you're probably right there. You know, the Alex Kirshner's of the world that are like still trying to make it like a big deal. Uh, but I mean, it's definitely, it, it's a no go. I mean, it's a bad for AJC and you think that like Georgia, you know, they fought it pretty hard and people were like, well, of course they are. Like they're trying to protect their players. And it turns out like, at least for this one instance, they had, you know, something to to actually hang their hats on with it. It's a weird, it's, a, it's honestly a sad deal. All of it involved is really sad. I know someone was saying that they, they part of the story was, Adam Anderson, like a really highly rated player, was like accused of rape and then like subsequently kicked off of the team. And then a lot of the teammates showed up to the arraignment, you know, like yeah, to support yeah. him. And I mean, which is not a crime nor a bad look. I get it's a dicey situation, but like that's not illegal. That does not mean that they approve of him exactly. and are him. They are just there. Um, and that was like the crux of the entire article. And so I understand. From this one instance why Georgia was pretty frustrated, but they got they got some some stuff to deal with over there. And I got asked a question about this on the message board either yesterday or the day before, and I'll try to provide a little bit of insight in terms of like how the investigative reporting process works. So the entire idea that you still have an investigative reporter at any newspaper that's not one of the bigger four newspapers in the country now is actually kind of pretty far-fetched. I was actually very surprised to learn that the AJC, I know that's a major city in Atlanta, but with the state of American media, I was actually very surprised to learn that they had a two-decade tenured investigative reporter. That's the kind of reporting that costs a lot of money. You really can't justify it when this day and age where you're constantly doing budget cuts, you're constantly doing layoffs, having around. And so I was surprised to learn that piece of it. And, you know, when you get involved with it and, like, like you've seen the movie Spotlight or the movie The Post, and you're like, you know, each newspaper has an attorney on retainer. This is why. It's not for some DUI report that someone has and they get wrong. It's for investigative stories like this. And the way I understood it is that they couldn't corroborate the 11 people like you mentioned, mentioning the sexual assault allegations. Again, not to give credit to Alex Kirshner, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But you can't just run with 11 unless you have all your ducks in a row crossing all your T's or dotting all your I's, whatever the expression is, because that's how you get sued. And that's what this felt like this to me. And then I read further on the reporter. He had apparently been fired 20 years yes. prior for a similar deal. And so strike two, you're done, pal. And so not that it's not really a thing. But he couldn't corroborate it, and you can't report that unless you have every single bit of evidence pointing your way to where you're basically lawsuit lawsuit proof, which they were clearly not. And that's the way I took it. No, yeah. And actually, I, I laugh at Kirshner just because he seems to be like an internal, the eternal pessimist when it comes to like anything off the field. Uh, when it comes Oh, and I'm to- not crediting him. I find him insufferable. I'll put that on record. Yeah, but I mean, his point about this was like kind of what you're saying. It's like, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it also is not like the gotcha that Georgia fans wanted, which I get. Um, it, it's just really, 
interesting the way that media around college football works now. And it's not like I'm some super expert on it, but especially at media days this week, kind of, I guess, tied all together. It's like, none of these guys are objective reporters. None of them. None of them. None of them. They're all fans. They all ask these questions from just a clearly fan point of view. I mean, I bring, I brought it up to you, but like one Auburn, like 24 seven guy got up and asked Jimbo Fisher, how he got, the five-star receiver in the 2024 class out of Alabama acting like Jimbo was going to, you know, give all the juicy details and how much they paid and cheated to get him. And Jimbo like, was like, I obviously can't talk about that. Like, what are you asking? Like there were so many like that where you're just like, these guys, like, it's just, there's no accountability. And then all the coaches are like thanking the media for like propping up their programs and stuff like that. I always found that hilarious. Like these, that's like, it's not exactly these guys jobs is to prop you guys up and give you, uh, you know, a bunch of like accolades and stuff like that, maybe for the players, but it's really just to report on you. And like, there's just none of that anymore, which makes it like pretty hard to like follow any of this with some sort of like impartial thought process. There's nobody rights or anything like that anymore. it's one of the many signs of a broken media ecosystem like that's how you get access right propping the players up and the team up because the you know, the college people and the coaches love that and it's kind of a cartel media standpoint but you notice like in professional sports where the like the actual writers have like a labor union and like they're there they have to be inside the locker room you don't get dumbass questions like that and there's a reason for that and like on top of all that it's like it's just, it's such a totally different atmosphere. I hate to use this as an example, but I just go ahead and will. Remember when Freeze filibustered in 2016 SEC media days before he got fired? Do you remember this where he, he had the whole 30 minutes on the floor and he talked for like 27 of them? Yes. Love Chuck Roundsville to death. He's given me more opportunities than I can count in the media space when I first got started. But that was a planted question. You remember the first one after the filibuster was Chuck, who's wearing, a, he's wearing an old Miss shirt. He's like, Who's going to return punts this year? It's like, dude, come on. And that's the kind of stuff that goes on in college that doesn't happen in professional sports is my point. And it's just a broken model. Yeah, because no one keeps anybody accountable, which is why like people got so riled up about the Georgia story. It's exactly like, wow, somebody's actually reporting on a program that's won two national championships with like some semi negative, not semi with some like negative headlines and negative investigative journalism of course part of it turned out to be nonsense but it, it's something it's it's not nothing and so like whenever you hear about like issues in college football serious ones including the ones at northwestern i mean it took the school newspaper to actually like you know report with some sort of like integrity about what's going on there i mean there's a lot of stuff that goes around in the sport so it doesn't have to be like these really negative deals sometimes it could be just you know, interesting stories or potential like storylines that, that you wouldn't hear that's not from some crazy viewpoint. They're like, wow, like I actually feel like I learned something. It, it's just all over the place. And like I've followed it for so long. I've been a part of it. And you see all these different angles and like having this just really unfortunate scenario with Georgia feels like a tipping point where like nobody's ever doing this again, which I think is kind of a shame. And Georgia would be actually the only one you could do it with because the AJC is the only major newspaper in the country that's like kind of close to an SEC program. So not to belabor the point, I thought I was done with the make fun of storylines, but something you said in the last two answers made me think of two more that I think you'll really enjoy. Where do I start? First one, Jimbo Fisher at AM. He was asked a question. It was a follow-up to Will um 
will you relinquish play calling duties totally over to Bobby Petrino? He didn't really say anything. And then some guy was like, how do you combat a hostile situation within your coaching staff meetings if things go awry? And he goes, what do you mean hostile situation? I got the guy where the guy was coming from. You want to talk about all-time dumbest way to word a question? Ask a coach about a hostile situation on his coaching staff. That's an immediate shutdown. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Did you see this? Jimbo got some of the worst questions I've ever Brutal. seen. Did you see? I mean, some poor guy was asking about, like, are they going to open up the offense more now that Petrino's here compared to what you do? And then he, he was like, he was like, I mean, poor guy. Like, you're never going to outsmart these coaches when it comes to scheme. Like, you're never going to know more than them. And he's like, have you ever watched Bobby Petrino before? Like, his guys can be under center more than mine sometimes. Like, what are you even talking about? And that other question that you brought up was like, these coaches don't think of it like that. They're never thinking that they're in some crazy situation. You bring it up. And so like using that word hostile Jimbo's face was just like, he went like white. He was like, what, the, what are you talking you? about, man? He's like, what are you talking about? Like, wh- why, what am I going to say to that? I'm going to say, yeah. Like, you know, if it gets hostile, then, you know, maybe I'll beat the shit out of Trino just like that other girl's ex-boyfriend did, you know, we'll have the same thing happen again. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like, what do you want him to say? Like, it's just not, there's nothing you can reply to that, which is like so many other questions. Oh my God. I would have loved that answer. A Jimbo just deadpan and been like, well, we'll fist fight. Yeah. We'll beat the shit out of each other. As last as- last one. And this may be my favorite. Cause I was sitting there. I was getting ready for work this morning, about six 30, drinking my coffee, watching the British open. This isn't even a question. It's a guy that works in Arkansas radio. His name's John Neighbors. He works for the uh, Buzz, which is some radio station somewhere in Arkansas. I don't know if you saw this. One of the Michael Bratton, who works for uh, Saturday Down South, had this guy on his podcast, and his quote was: "Is Arkansas is better than Missouri, but they just don't win the game." And if you're not catching the full clip, he went on to use Ole Miss Alabama as an example, where he said. Was Ole Miss actually a better team when they beat Alabama back-to-back years, or did it just kind of happen? This is what happens with Missouri-Arkansas. If you look at it on paper, Arkansas is the better team. They just don't always win the game. I don't know where to start with this one, but I'll start it with what I quote tweeted. Arkansas is 23-67 and since 2012 when Mizzou joined the SEC. They are 23-67. and that is insane. I did not know it was that bad. Chad now, Morgan. in fairness to Arkansas, the year before was the end of Petrino. The first year was the John L. Smith year. Then you went through Belima and uh, Chad Morris, and then finally got to Sam Pittman. Let's Those were some are. lean years. Well, I mean, at some point, that's just kind of who you are, though. I mean, if you if you can't get it right and you're that kind of program, I mean – that just kind of is what it is. You can only give so many excuses to so many people, but that is way worse. Is that the worst? I mean, besides Vanderbilt in the conference from that standpoint, I mean, I'm sure you don't have that number in front of you. No, no, I looked it up actually. That is the second worst. It is just ahead of Vanderbilt. And I can't remember actually, I had it written down earlier. That is the second worst by a sea of a margin. Like the, the Vanderbilt in Arkansas and then the other 12, it's not even close. That's crazy. But that's also like, yeah, because it is kind of a weird thing. Like Arkansas, like I guess they, they just don't beat Missouri very often. 
They're two, uh, well, on top of that, on top of the SEC record, they're two and six against Missouri since they joined the SEC. Two and six, but they're the better team. They just don't win the game. Right. Of course. I mean, that is that's just typical. That, that's kind of like the whole point we're making. It's like that's that's the whole deal. But I mean, there are now, I guess, to give some sort of I mean, there are teams in this league and games in this league where like just for whatever reason, like they don't win. I think Ole Miss and Auburn is one of those games where like Yeah, that's a fair people. example. Ole Miss just does not beat Auburn. Like they just really haven't. Uh I know last year they did. Uh that team was terrible. Um, but yeah, so I I can get where he's coming from. It just is incredibly silly way to say it. <laughs> I just I couldn't believe that. It's like but he's like if you look at talent on paper, they should beat them. I'm like, well, by what metric? They're two and six. If Arkansas went 47 and 0 in their next X number of SEC games, they wouldn't be over 500. And to Missouri's credit, they played for an SEC East Championship twice. Two years in a row. Yeah, they've done more than Arkansas has since they've been in the conference. I mean, uh, it's funny. It's like that's kind of like saying, like, you know, AM is is really a better team than Ole Miss, but they just don't ever beat them. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they might be more talented. I don't know. That's not necessarily true. They went five and seven last year and seven and five the year before. Like they're actually really not that good and they shouldn't be beating teams. So it's just, that's just what you get. I just found that to be an incredible take to wrap up this podcast. It is a summer edition of the fastest growing podcast or the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. This is the real reason we do this pod. We're only a couple of weeks away from EPL action. Correct. I believe it starts like the second week of August. We're, we're winding down. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's like the thick of preseason right now. A lot of the teams have just come over the pond to start playing their uh, their U.S. tour games and they're still signing players. And we're getting really close. Very, very close. So I should have looked up the odds before we did this segment, but I didn't. What kind of situation are we in? Is it Man City versus everyone else? Give me a lowdown of what you see in terms of the Premier League this year. Is it wide open at the top? What we got going on? Well, how about you give me 15 seconds and I'll look up the odds for it. I was about to do the same thing. I was like, shit, I should have looked up these odds. No, it's 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 fine. So let's see. Uh, England Premier League futures to win outright. So uh, we have City is minus 200 to win, which is crazy. So basically uh, the same as last year at the very top. Basically the same. I think there's a little bit more of a clump than there's there's been in recent years. So you have Arsenal at five to one, Liverpool eight to one, United probably at their lowest odds in like ten years at ten to one, uh, Chelsea and Newcastle both at fourteen to one, and then it really drops off from there. Where Tottenham is forty to one, Brighton fifty to one. Um, I mean, it is as usual a big six league. Uh, City being too like you know. One to two is pretty insane. I don't even think they were that low last year uh, to start it all off. Arsenal was definitely improved. They signed Declan Rice from West Ham for a, an English record, uh, over $100 million, including add-ons, and he's an incredibly talented player. Probably not worth $100 million, but they've definitely gotten better. Um, Liverpool has definitely gotten worse. Uh, they have signed, they signed a really good player from Leipzig, uh, a Hungarian player, which nobody will know him, but he's really good. Um, and then they signed one of Brighton's best players, Alex McAllister, who played on the Argentine, uh, Argentina team, uh, who won the world cup really good. They've only had two and they've had like a bunch of players leave to the Saudi league. They're not as good. Uh, and then United has signed a new goalkeeper from Inter. 
They signed uh, Mason Mount from Chelsea, and then they're about to sign this young striker from Italy. Um, so some teams have improved, but City is just so far and away better than everybody else. And they just signed the best center back in the world uh, currently. So, I mean, they're just adding on. So when I knew very little about soccer, I always used to joke about the EPL teams. Like, every, uh, the same three teams win it every year. But this now seems like it's the same one team and everybody else. What is the... Like, what is the what is the end result of this? Like, what does the rest of the EPL do about Man City? Because this seems like, even to a degree, to a heavy favorite that we've not seen in quite a long time. I even looked up some past odds where it's like, it doesn't seem this close-minded this early in the year. What do you do? Do you just up the spending? Like, what happens here? You have to up the spending and you have to spin correctly. I think that's what a lot of teams have done really poorly. Uh, United and Chelsea being like the prime examples, though Chelsea has won the champions leagues. So they have had at least some success in, in that realm. But if you look at their squad right now, I mean, the, how they finished last year, we talked about plenty was because they spent a shit ton, on a bunch of players who can't play. Um, United has been doing that for years and slowly, but surely with the new management and new team, and hopefully the eventual sale of this stupid club that they'll start figuring out the, the correct ways to spend all their wages. City, has just been the dominant force, like, you know, a Georgia and Alabama where not only are they spending the most money, but they're buying the best players and they're getting the right players that go into their system. Uh, I think Arsenal, you know, with their coach, uh, with Arteta coming in, having been at City, he's done a pretty good job of doing a very similar style. You know, they're spending plenty of money, but they're getting the right players for what they want to do, not just getting the most expensive best player that's out there. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's really – Everyone like complains about the Premier League. It's it's not really a Premier League issue. It's like every league. I mean, Bayern Munich has won like I think twelve straight Bundesliga titles. Uh, in the Scottish Premier League, it's it's Rangers and Celtics win every single year. In the Spanish league, Real Madrid or Barcelona win almost every single year. With Atletico maybe winning one. I know they've won one recently. Uh, in Italy, you know, Juventus has been dominant and now they've kind of fallen off. So that's actually one of the more competitive and actually fun leagues to watch because it's not the same thing. It, it, it's everywhere. It's nothing new. PSG wins the league in France almost every single year. Um, it might seem like that is like, well, why the hell do y'all watch all this stuff? Because there's so much more around it. You know, there's so many Which more. Which we've talked about before, relegation, middle of the pack. There's so much more to play for. Exactly. So it's still going to be interesting. I wouldn't say they're a blood bank guarantee to win the whole thing, but the odds tell you that for a reason. Well, we need another team to come up like Arsenal last year to where I, I can antagonize you for nine months. Like, you sure? You sure this is a done deal? Only to ultimately have them <laughs> seal the deal. Remember, Arsenal led that sucker for what? Like three quarters Both, of the season and then the just dumped the bed. Time. It was like City as we always thought. Yeah, they led for the most amount of time ever to not win the league. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. That makes some most, sense. Like, I think, damn, I, think, I feel like they're actually going to do this. Yeah, I think it might not be the most time, but like the most consecutive weeks at the top to not actually win it, I think was the stat. It was one or the other. So on that note, like you mentioned, increasing the spending, being smarter about spending. I have been very down on my good brethren at uh, Saudi Castle United. The first or second year we started doing the podcast, you mentioned that they got bought by the Saudis. They went from like an almost relegation team to kind of in the mix. Last year, they were in that third to fifth place mix. Why is the uh, the Saudi uh, PIF not ensuring that Newcastle is going to win a title? Why have we not seen that last jump? 
Um, I think they're close. They've done some good stuff this summer, but I don't know if you've been following this, but the Saudi league after Cristiano Ronaldo went over there is just going out and buying every single player. Yeah, they're trying to get dudes to their league. To hell with the EPL. Let's just go play in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I really think they've kind of shifted focus. I mean, not totally shifted from Newcastle because they just made a deal recently with a really good player. Um, But, I mean, it's honestly the names that are going over there. I could give you a list. You wouldn't recognize any of them, but soccer players would. It's it's actually insane what's going on. It's it's one of the craziest. It's like it's honestly crazier than live golf because they are literally just throwing out offers to anybody who will listen. And a lot. It's kind of similar to where they have like it's kind of like a little bit of the older players. You know, they're kind of maybe a little bit past their prime, but are massive names that can absolutely still play. They're getting everybody from every league. I mean, they've probably bought. 25 players at this point from the top six leagues to go over there to play for these random teams. Um, it, it's crazy what's going on. Is that disheartening for sports? Because the last time we did a podcast, I mentioned to you a guy, and I can't remember his name, but uh, clearly he's a top soccer player in the world, but I'd never heard of him, which is not saying a whole lot. But he signed like a three-year, $600 million year with the Saudis. And I was like, who is this dude? He's making $200, $200 million a year. Like, you mentioned the live piece of it. Is that more disheartening for like global sports? Because I don't necessarily like the way it's going in golf. It sounds like soccer is almost more accelerated, just not getting the pub. Yeah, it's it's definitely more accelerated because there will be no need to to merge this league with anyone else. So once they go over there, it's like you're just never going to see them again. Like you, no one's watching that league. Um, it, it's just it's completely irrelevant. Um, and maybe that changes with all of these new players and I mean, new managers that they've bought to go over there. And they're spending just insane amount of money to kind of build it up in the exact same way they did live. But it's honestly at a more rapid pace with like actually a much more bigger names. So in 2025, when we do this podcast, we're just going to be both wearing traditional Saudi attire. And it's like, I think we'll miss wins the SEC West unless our bosses tell us not to say that. Is that how this is going to go? Uh, exactly. If they pay me the money to be the official podcast, I will be like a live golfer and I will take it. <laughs> For the record, I will too. He is Walden Rodenberg. This has been the fastest growing segment on American soil. I appreciate the time, my man. This is the unofficial start of college football season. We'll hit like another two week lull, but we'll get a little uh, fall camp preview and then we'll get back in the swing of things. I'm looking forward to it, dude. You're three. Absolutely. Can't wait. It's coming up. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. We'll be back with a uh, player interview early next week and uh, some football stuff as well as a couple more uh, off-the-wall interviews as we get through this final dead period before fall camp starts up and football season is in full swing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, we will talk to you on Sunday.